So listeners, thank you for supporting and tuning in for our next round of Colin Chats China. I'm here, of course, with Colin, where he's going to chat about, surprise, China and its rich history, something that I know next to nothing about. I am learning more and more about China, but like psychology, which I knew nothing about when this show started, somebody came up on my little webpage search the other day for Today in History. I was like, I know who that is. I was like, I, I know who that is. I can't remember who it is now and I can't say the name. I was like, oh, that's, the, that's that guy. I, I remember that person. Uh, you know, and last time was certainly rewarding because I actually knew who Zhang he was. But I think it's better when I know next to nothing about these things because I took us down a Gavin Menzies rager, which was... Which was, which was not. Oh, he probably deserves it. I mean, he's a shit historian. (laughs) But Colin, who do you want to teach me about tonight? Well, Confucius is our topic this evening. And I I always tell my students that if you, you really can't understand the operating software of the Chinese society without understanding the teachings of Confucius. Confucius is basically considered a wise man, a scholar, sort of almost like a, um, you know, like a father type figure to the Chinese society. In terms of, uh, for for our listeners, the time we're talking about would be like the 550s BC, which would be the time of ancient Greece. Yeah, wow, way older than I thought. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He lived from 551 to 479, the whole backwards thing with with the BC. Uh, I don't know if we want to do the common era or whatever the i am i am a bce ce kind of gal but but bc and ad is fine too but yes that in case you don't know listeners which would mean that you either somehow avoided christianity western civilization or any history class ever uh the numbers go down to zero and then up from zero but if i had to explain that you might be like 10 and shouldn't be listening i just i tell kids it's like a number line right so if you're in the negative side you're in the bc yeah and it's a negative yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of weird. But anyway, he's he's a wise man, an advisor to the emperor. And what ended up happening was the emperor that he worked for blew him off, wanted to party, never wanted to take any of his advice. And so Confucius later resigns and stomp, stomps away mad, you know, and sort of self-exiles, feeling like he was a failure. He wasn't able to get through to the emperor. And in a way, that was kind of uh, for the best, because then it, it, it freed him up from the mantle of having to, you know, deal with politics. Impress he could just write. somebody, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. And so he ends up more or less writing his book called The Analects. And it's it's it basically outlines like all of the virtues of morality and correctness of social relationships. He does these treatises on justice and sincerity. And, you know, he basically writes this moral code that almost kind of becomes later as a model for future Chinese rulers and Chinese leaders that they will adhere to. So, I mean, obviously Confucius is a name that it's a pretty household name, even if just for sarcastic reasons. It's a good joke. There's a lot of Confucius jokes. Confucius (laughs) says, yes. Yeah. But so just to put that in perspective, though, so you said 500 BC. So that would put him like 200 years before Aristotle, right? I mean, that's right around where we're I'm not an expert yeah, so, of the timeline. Uh, but. Socrates, I just, I was curious, like when, when in the Greeks, and it says Socrates was uh, a kid around wow. uh, the time that Confucius died. Wow, so, just putting that yeah. in perspective. So he, Is that your dad yeah, in the background? What's that? 
Uh, maybe. I hope not. Yeah. Anyway, so back okay. to Confucius. And you were talking about family Sorry. and stuff. So there it is. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Yeah, there's family. Uh, no. So one of the things that, that that he really emphasizes is filial piety. It's a term that Chinese very much adhere to where it's like respecting for respect for one's elders, respect for one's parents. And the, the concept here is that if, if, if the family knows how to behave, they make good citizens and good citizens then make good government. So one of the reasons that the Analects becomes so, uh, so pivotal in Chinese history is because it outlines all the roles that are expected that Chinese civilians are supposed to follow. So what makes a good father? What makes a good son? What makes a good husband? Or what makes a good, you know, um, um, leader? Right. He, he writes just volumes of all of these attributes and traits that basically, you know, is a guideline for how people should act and behave. And that's, that's sort of what defines Confucianism is that, um, that expectations of the institutions that later will be adopted will take Confucius's writings and roll them right into the legal code. And when does that uh, get adopted? And, um, well, it's, it was originally when we talked about Shi Huangdi a few episodes ago. He he kind of didn't want to hear about Confucius. He is was that the first interested. emperor? Yeah, that first emperor. Okay. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. But later on, in some of the following dynasties, they start like some of, some of his uh, followers will start to be integrated with the court, and then slowly oh. bring his stuff into being. In fact, one of it's called legalism, which saw his teachings then become the law code that was later written. And what's what's interesting is the goal of Confucianism is harmony. So that if all of the citizens know what is expected of them, then everyone will pretty much, you know, uh, blend and sure, basically sure. You know, help, help society move along. So that's yeah. that's that's kind of one of the, the goals. And it's still um, pretty key today, is it not? I mean, Confucianism it, it, is... It is. Um, one of the things that uh, Confucius also advocates is that a meritocracy should form. The cream of the crop should be given a chance to rise. Mm. And in, in China to this day, the civil service exam, which is based on Confucian teachings, no shit. is still something that is used. You know, if you want to be a government official, you have to take that test. And oh. the meritocracy the cream of the crop will rise. It doesn't matter what your background, where you're from. If you can score well on that test, you then inherit that position of, you know, government importance. So you're telling me not to get political here, but you have to actually be a capable, intelligent, rational person with a knowledge of your own country's history and legal system to be in a high ranking political position in China. That is how China was structured for thousands of years. Now, when you enter the communist system, sure, 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 yeah. Work. However, we still see in Chinese certification exams and tests, it is still a meritocracy, and there is still that top-down structure of you know when when we talk about filial piety, there's the superior and the subordinate right? Like the leader and the follower. Uh, he, he outlines what's called the five relationships talking okay. about like, you know, what, what is the ruler? What is the role of the, of the, of the citizen? What is the role of the uh, father, the head of the household? What is the role of the child? Mm. You know, he outlines all of these expectations. And, and so when you ask someone in China, who's Confucius, they probably wouldn't know. And yet everything about their society oh, is wow. structured about like, you know, 
Oh, so he's Judy not like a common thing in Chinese society. A pe- he's not a common piece of Chinese society, but his legacy certainly is. Is that what you're kind of hinting he, at? Like I say, he, he wrote the operational software of how Chinese act and think mm-hmm, because mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. to this day, China, one of the reasons Confucianism and communism dovetail is yeah. because Confucius would always argue what's best for society yeah. is more important than the individual. Right. I was right? kind of thinking so, that like that they kind of, it was a perfect way to, to weave communism into Chinese society through existing principles. I mean, that's right. Sense. Right. Yeah. The collective is more important than the individual. And so therefore, you know, this, this was a, this was ingrained in Chinese thought anyway. So mm-hmm. communism just seemed to be the next natural sure, step, sure. you know? Um, and you know, I, I had a Chinese roommate when I lived over there for oh, a couple wow. of weeks in Peking University. Yeah, we all got roommates and I was an odd man. So they threw me in with a Chinese language student and we would have conversations. And I would say to him like at night, hey, don't you guys want freedom? Don't you want the ability to speak out and do your own thing? And he said, one thing you have to understand about China is there's there's over a billion of us. If mm-hmm. we all did our own thing and, and we're like, you know, carefree. Sure, sure. Didn't believe in the collective. He said our society would not function in, you know, and that goes back to the harmony thing. Sure, right? the, sure. Yeah, it's interesting. The good of the group. So, and, and that, th- that's there's also Confucius teachings, right? I mean, that's it it's deep. It's not just an opinion. It's not communism. It's, it's older than all of those things. But there's also a conformity to it, right? Mm-hmm. So the, there's an old Chinese saying that says the peg that sticks up the highest gets hammered down the hardest. Yes, yes. Which, you know, if you try to be an individual, if you try to be different, if you try mm-hmm. to go against the grain of the group, you will be subordinated, sure, sure. right? And and we see that all throughout Chinese history, like factions that try to rise up and challenge the power of the emperor or whatever mm-hmm. are put in that. That's not Confucianism, man. So it's like, so how does this um, mesh with religious movements? What uh, Hinduism and Buddhism both have elements in, in China. Yes. I mean, Right. And either one are, are conflicting in a way. Uh, one of the things that um, because uh, one of the, one of the things that's very important to Chinese faith is Chinese New Year is very important mm-hmm. because it's when the son is supposed to go to the father's grave and clean the graves and take care of like plant flowers, mm-hmm, offer mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. food and water, whatever. And, and so, again, like even with old Chinese traditions and customs, Confucianism was very much like honor your parents and, right, and a right. lot of the religion also kind of you know Taoism kind of rebuked a little of this Taoism was more like you know a little laid back whereas mm-hmm. Confucianism is, is a little more structured and sure. metered and whatnot and you know a lot we can talk about Taoism some other time but sure yeah you know, that's yin and yang but so yeah which is something we probably have to talk about for sure at some point <laughs> at some point yeah at some point. right 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 so anything else you wanted to add about confucius no i i hope i i hope i explained it well enough and i, I, I mean i th- i think you did I, you know i won't lie with legalism and things like that i mean these are words i've certainly heard before and the, mm-hmm. you know obviously confucius and uh, the next topic we're going to discuss in a little bit on on chinese history are things that i at least am aware of you know and, and they're words that i'm familiar with but certainly uh, you know I, I didn't know that much i even i didn't even know when one, one last thing and, yeah. and it goes back to the uniformity that i was explaining in the 1960s the chinese cultural revolution happened and that was where you didn't want to stick out you wanted to blend and fit in with the group you didn't want to call attention to yourself during those dark times when mao was purging the society sure sure and and there was only one model of bicycle 
it was called the flying pigeon. And when you have close to a billion people that have one color and one model of bicycle, that tells you, like, that's amazing. Like in yes. America, we all, yes. you know, yeah. Yes. So it just, it speaks again yeah. to the whole blend harmony, yes. you know, yes. wow. that's Confucianism. See, and I just, I've never been in a class situation where comparing Confucianism to uh, the the elements and emergence of communism in China would happen. You know, that's the glory of the show. But I, I certainly did learn about Chinese history, not to the fault of any professor or teacher, just never stuck with me for some reason. I mean, he took a China and Revolution class, and I can't tell you a single thing except for... It can be overwhelming, right? Yeah, 5,000 years of history is enough to just mind-numb anyone, but well, then, you know... the language barrier is, for me, the thing, that the yeah. names become instantaneously harder for me to remember. I just I, I just can't seem to make it work. You, you know, there's no westernized version of... You know, like, Russian's hard, too, but but it's like there's peter you know it gets down it gets simplified down to peter and catherine and <laughs> right, right, and right. you know right. ivan and not ivan Oskonoski or whatever i did have one more question for you on confucius sure. it's you know because you taught me confucius i guarantee you taught confucius in that world yeah. cultures class and i'm wondering how do you teach confucius because i don't remember confucius so. well <laughs> When, when we when we look at um you know and I talked about Shi Huangdi and the wall the first emperor usually that's the time I'll jump into it just to, and I there's a TED Ed I show my kids oh, it's cool. a five minute little blurb one of the neat things that Confucius would do is in his analects he would give little situations like you know your your kid is caught shoplifting you know he breaks the rule but you're the parent you know like oh. what kind of conversation do you have when he comes back so I, sure. I give them little anecdotes and then role play. And then I would go, well, here's what Confucius would say, you know, like just kind of, you know, give them anecdotes or things like that. Oh. Um, social roles or, you know, Confucius says that a good leader does X, Y, and Z, you know, who is a good leader that does X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, we'll name different presidents or people that put the good of the country mm. ahead of themselves or whatnot. Again, you know, the whole filial piety or like the idea of righteous and correct behavior. And so that's, that's, that's one of the ways I... Well, that's fun. I, I mean, I just, I, I, like I said, it's amazing. I'm sure Sherry could tell us the psychological concept behind it, but why I choose not to remember Chinese history from the classes I've learned in is probably the same reason that she doesn't remember much about the European monarchs that I love so much. Yeah, awesome. she really doesn't like the monarchs, does she? Wow. She's not a monarch fan, no. She likes the, mm. she liked Catherine the Great. She liked Isabella. She yeah. didn't have a problem with she Catherine likes the, the girls. She, she likes, Yeah, she likes yeah, the underdogs yeah. and the people who have something yeah. to fight against. You know, she, I, I think she she's not a fan of the people who are spoon fed opportunity for success and just piss it all away and fail. You know what I mean? <laughs> like uh, I would, I would consider Charles an underdog. I mean, having Charles to come is an back underdog. from, yeah, she just hates yeah. Charles the second. There's no way around that. She hates, she hates, him. Yeah, <laughs> she yeah. hates Charles the second, but Philip survived uh, Sherry's, uh, opinion of European monarchs. But on that note, this is another round of Cullen Chats China, history lovers and up. Uh, and actually for this one, all DGMH listeners, I, I hope you enjoyed this round of Cullen Chats China. If you want even more Cullen Chats China or more DGMH, head on over to the DGMH Patreon page where you can get access to all sorts of bonus content, uh, which always gets a little crazier than a regular episode. Don't know why, but it always happens. So uh, cheers and thanks for listening. Um, you know, we're not going to talk too much on, on drinks in these episodes because we don't normally. So we're just going to go ahead and move on to our cheers.